Hey everyone, this is Craig Horlbeck from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Join me, Danny Heifetz, and Danny Kelly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to help you win your draft, win your league, and most importantly, avoid that last place punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up. And with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hungry dogs run fast. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special. Shield Kapadia here, joined by Ace producer Cliff Augustine. You know, last week we had on a guest, a first-time guest, Sean Syed from Sumer Sports. Got all kinds of feedback everywhere. People texting me, hey, he was great. I hadn't followed his work. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna take a little page out of Brian Johnson's book. You know, he didn't know. He just said, it's working, inside zone. We're just gonna run it over and over and over again. I said, hey, Sean. Why don't you just, do you want to just come on every week? The people loved you. You might have to move up to Philly. You can do film breakdowns. And Sean, you you agreed to it. So that's the Rigger Philly special announcement. Sean's going to join us every week this season to break down the Eagles film. Uh, you've gotten all these texts and stuff from me asking about plays, what we should talk about. Are you regretting your decision already? She'll no, I am excited. I will say I was a little nervous early on Thursday because, you know, we had the conversation. You were nice enough to extend that offer. I'm super excited about it. But look, if I had to come in here after they lost to the Vikings, people would have booed me out of here. Cliff would have cut my mic. It would have just been a whole entire issue. But really super excited. You know, my promise is that I'm just always going to do the work. I really believe that film is not going to watch itself. The feedback has been great. Of course, shout out to the Breakfast Club. I know my guys are listening. Looking forward to the Eagles every week. But most importantly, I think at this point I have down, I can spell Dallas Goddard's name without having to look it up. I don't have to (laughs) Google it. I don't have to check it twice. So I think we're off to a strong start. I can attest you you do the work. It's been great trading notes and I'm saying, hey, my, what do you think about this theme and uh, what happened on this play? And, and you're uh, all over it. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And to the listeners, if, you know, give us some feedback. If, there's, if you're like, hey, we have this big picture question or we want you to do more of this or hey, some of this is hard to digest. You know, we don't want this to feel like homework. We want this to be fun. Uh, I want to learn from Sean. We want to figure out what's going on with the Eagles every week as we go through this season. So uh, really looking forward to doing this this show with you all season long. So 
Let's get into it. I mean, we we had a Thursday night game. This was nice. We had some extended time. It's not like you got to rush through the film and you have 24 hours. We have had extended time to look at the film. We're going to talk about what happened in that Vikings game, big picture stuff, and then, of course, spin it ahead to week three against Tampa. So, Sean, I wanted to start out. Vikings come in. Brian Flores, we all know, like very respected defensive coordinator, creative defensive coordinator, not someone who you know what you're going to get with him week in and week out. Let's just take big picture. What did the Vikings want to do? What was their plan coming in uh, against this Eagles offense? The Vikings, they wanted to attack the Eagles. Brian Flores wanted to flip the script. He wanted to attack the offense. And in a lot of ways, they did succeed. They played a pretty unique 3-3-5 defense. They had three high safeties. And it's just not something that you see every day. They used a coverage where it looked like there's just five players standing in a line at the first down marker. And it's a variation of cover zero, which is a pressure coverage that teams do see. But it played out like man coverage when routes were going deep. But then it would become more like a zone coverage and it would pass players off when the offense was running routes underneath. So that type of flexibility and coverage, it's important for defenses. So an offense can't just have easy answers because the coverage is going to look different at different times. They rushed with six. They were able to get linebackers on running backs in pass protection, which defenses are going to usually see that as a positive. They dropped eight. They had different coverages. But the best part of it was the Eagles adjusted to that. They found out, let's take our one-on-ones. We have stars in A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. Let's get double moves out there. And probably the most fun I know for you, Sheila, is they just ran that ball until the cows came home. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. I mean, it was we'll we'll get to some of the issues the Eagles had, but I do think one big positive is that the Eagles figured it out and Brian Johnson figured it out and they didn't overthink it. Like you said, the Vikings are showing these looks. They're playing it, you know, almost look like an umbrella uh, coverage back there where they're just like, all right, we're not going to get beat over the top. They're lining up six guys at the line of scrimmage. Well, are you rushing six? Sometimes. Well, are you rushing three? A lot of times. I mean, that that really uh, more so than the blitz. I thought the, the drop eight and rush three, at least statistically, is what gave the Eagles the biggest issues. And so it's just like it's not little like the most common. It's fun because it's easy to understand. Like you can just look at the numbers and say, here's what they're doing. At the same time, it's not easy to diagnose when you're an Eagles offense and you're up there and they got all these guys at the line of scrimmage. Well, what are they going to do? Are they dropping them? Are they bringing them? What's our plan for all these things? And so eventually the Eagles said, well, you know what? Uh, When in doubt, let's just run the football. And, And like I said, let's just run inside zone over and over and over and over again. And that's what they did to the tune of 259 yards. And so that that was really the solution they came up with. And I said it on the post game pod, like most teams that I've covered in my life, they just don't have that luxury where it's like the passing game's really shaky now. We don't know what to do. And a lot of times, especially Sean, you you know, you might not know this, but in Philly, this has been a like sports talk radio thing since I've been five years old that when things aren't going well, look, everybody's covered run the ball. You got to just, why didn't they run the ball? You should have run the ball. Even when things are going well, I'm more new school. I'm like, eh, only run the ball if you have to like pass the, otherwise you want to pass the ball. But it's so funny because like the, the sports talk radio callers are proven right in situations like this, where the solution is very simple. And that's what the, the Eagles did. So what did you see there kind of where they said, all right, here's what the Vikings are doing. Let's run the ball. And also how are they so successful? What stood out with their run game specifically? Running the ball is, of course, what people want teams to do when they're struggling (laughs) a little bit through the air. But it is really, really hard because on a whiteboard, 
you sit there, you can draw everything up perfectly. Every defensive player is blocked. All the angles look clean and it just ends up in a touchdown when you're and when you're in the board or on the board drawing it, right? But in reality, the defense gets paid a lot of money. They are really good. They can move before and after the snap. And a lot of times it only takes one missed block to create a tackle for a loss. But time after time on Thursday, the Eagles, they just dominated the Vikings through inside zone. It's so different than how we see other teams succeed in the run game. The Falcons, they'll have all these crazy shifts and motions. And everyone in my DMs this week reminded me that their Eagles fans reminded me their favorite coach is Kyle Shanahan, of course, has his scheme, which is different. But the Eagles, (laughs) they, they ran inside zone until they're on the one yard line and it is push sneak time right their offensive line is a hive mind all five of those guys work so well together and what's cool is if you say you're running inside zone it's going to look a little different each time based on how the defense presents their look especially how flores would have all those guys lined up on the line or people coming from the second level the linebacker level to blitz the front but it just felt like in a snap all the five guys up front figured it out the tight ends were blocking really, really well. So it was it was really fun to see. But, you know, it, it gave me some memories. I have two older brothers. My middle brother, Harris, always been stronger than me. Play one-on-one basketball, back me down in the post. And <laughs> that little brothering is, you know, it, it's what we saw between the Eagles and the Vikings on Thursday. Yeah, they were really just pushing them around. I, I mean, it, it was, uh, I thought Landon Dickerson, Jordan Mailata, if we're talking about specific individual performances. Those two in Dallas Goddard, I thought really stood out to me where I was just writing their names down over and over and over again. And I'll give Goddard specifically a lot of credit. Like I've generally, my, my thing has been like a tight end blocking, like who really cares? It's a passing league. You know, you got to get out there and be able to make plays. And I I think, I don't know if it was Zach Ertz or somebody who was like the tight end's job is just to like lose slow. You know, we're not expecting you to pancake everybody. Just don't, like you said, one thing goes wrong on a run play and all of a sudden it's a two yard gain instead of like a six yard gain. That's really all it takes. But Goddard is just so different in that, like he's taking it to these defensive players and he hasn't been targeted a lot. They're not getting him the ball in the passing game. And so I'll give him credit that it was like the fourth quarter and they're putting the game out of hand and the guy's blocking like it's the fourth quarter uh, of the Super Bowl. So I, I really thought he was terrific in this game. And I, I thought your hive mind comment was really interesting because I'm thinking of the offensive linemen. And it's like, all right, Cam Jerkins is a first year starter for them playing right guard. The other four guys, you know, they, they were all played together last year, but it's not like they've all played together for, you know, three or four years, you know, Jordan Mailata uh, for a couple of years here, Landon Dickerson was a first year starter uh, last season. And then Kelsey and Lane Johnson, of course, they've been through the iterations of Chip Kelly and Doug Peterson and the first Jeff Stoutland. I mean, Jeff Stoutland's really the guy who's been there uh, the longest time. But that really stood out to you, right? Their ability to solve problems. And it's like, okay, we know what play we're running, but they're presenting something different. So you might have to do this and you might have to do this. And we all have to do it together and be on the same page or the run play is not going to work. I mean, that's different than most offensive line plays uh, you see around the league, right? Yeah, Jeff Stalin is the shout out that I want to focus on first because it, it to me it's clear that a lot of that is through him. Of course, all those players are talented, but I, I wish I was on the mic and they asked Jeff Stalin, uh, Jeff, what do you like on this one? And inside zone was just repeated before the sentence was finished. <laughs> and I was also happy we got to see the push sneak again. Really glad to see it. It's clearly something that they spend time practicing. I think Jalen Hurts went over the left guard every time. So that's just a fun little thing. Maybe we can track if that changes at all. I also saw different college teams use it. 
I believe the Colts used it and it wasn't always successful. So I'm glad we got to see that because it's not just, oh, every team can run this. We need to ban it. It actually takes a lot, a lot of power that the Eagles have that other teams, you know, they don't have all those guys and Jalen Hurts. See, see, now you're endearing yourself. The audience is just going to be like, all right, bring this guy on like four times a week because uh, I, this is very much on Eagles fans radar when you're watching a national game and the announcers complaining uh, about the old tush push and oh my gosh, look at this dangerous play. This should be illegal. But you made a great point. I mean, other teams have tried this both in the NFL and college this year. And not every, I mean, we saw the Colts, I think in week one, tried it with Anthony Richardson, who's a big boy who is bigger than Jalen Hurts and it didn't work, but it's not as simple as just, all right, you know, anyone can do it. The Eagles have kind of mastered uh, the way to do this uh, specifically because they're what their quarterback can squat and the way they execute it, right? It, it, it's not as uh, as simple as some of the critics of the push would have you believe. Yeah, and it's always great to be reminded how much Jalen Hurts squats. I, I just think that it's, it's an important factoid <laughs> that I'm sure in production meetings, it gets hammered over and over and, and it shows and Hurts I do think in the run game, there's a little bit left to be desired right now in terms of Hurts in the run game. Now, he doesn't have yeah. to be running for 100 rush yards every game. That's not what the most important part is. I do think even if you have a quarterback who, as long as they can present themselves in that zone read game, if it slows defensive ends just a touch, if it makes linebackers think for one extra second. But from a schematic perspective in the run game, I do want to see maybe more things where there's a tight end coming across this, the other side of the formation, working into the flat that really conflicts people that last year, it felt like that was a cheat code versus the Vikings defense in week two, when Jalen Hurts is, is running just to wide open space and Harrison Smith is all turned around because the defense can't deal with all of those issues when there's a run coming downhill, a tight end going out to the flat, a receiver that's kind of setting a pick and then also Hurts as a threat. So Meat on the bone is is probably one of the themes we'll take away from today. But, you know, I'm never going to be above endearing myself. But there, there's still some criticisms we, we both have, I know, <laughs> of the Eagles. Yeah, from uh, just to finish up here uh, on the run game, uh, Kenny Gainwell was injured. So obviously they had DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift breaks the 43-yard uh, run there. That's longer than any rush Kenny Gainwell has had as an Eagle with, with a hundred carries, Kenny Gainwell has one carry of 20 plus yards. So uh, I think Swift is definitely more of a home run threat. Like when Gainwell was coming out of college, I, I know I thought, all right, scat back. He's going to be, you know, this kind of home run threat. We talked about it before on this pod. He's been more of an efficient runner, but not a home run threat. And so Deandre Swift, I think is going to be able to give you more big plays. So we'll see later this week if Gainwell is healthy or not and how they're going to uh, kind of use that run game uh, and divvy up those carries against Tampa in week three. All right. So the run game was good, positive. The the fact that they didn't overthink it, they adjusted to what the Vikings was doing, all good, all good. All right. Now let's get to some of the issues with this Eagles offense, uh, and specifically the passing game. So some numbers. Co- cover your ears. If you're like Shield, they're two and zero. We're going into week three. I don't want you to. I don't. I don't want to hear anything negative right now. Then either you can fast forward a little bit or cover your ears. But here are some numbers for you, Sean. Based on drop back success rate, there have been 630 games the last two seasons. This performance by Jalen Hurts among that sample ranked 614th 
And again, success rate is just every time he drops back, are you getting closer to scoring or are you not getting closer to scoring? And he was at a very low rate. I think it was about 20 something percent, 25%. It was the worst success rate of his career, 40 career starts. That goes back to 2020, 2021, whatever you want to say. Out of those 40 starts, week one was his 33rd ranked start in terms of success rate. So these have been two very below average, even if we're just comparing to Jalen Hurts is kind of what his average game is. Both of these games were have been among his worst uh, as a starter. And it's not just Jalen Hurts at the same time. Uh, you're not a Negadelphian or a hater if you're saying, you know what, this passing game is leaving something to be desired. Like it's true there with the numbers. So I want to get to Hurts in a second. But Sean, I wanted to start with this, with the scheme. And we talked about this a little bit last week. What are you seeing in terms of the scheme, in terms of the concepts, in terms of, hey, is the coaching staff putting Jalen Hurts in position to succeed? Or are they not doing that right now, uh, specifically as it pertains to that game against Minnesota? Watching live, I was pretty concerned, especially when you hear how loud those boos are, you know, had to lower the volume on the TV just a bit (laughs) for that. But you see the pressure uh, live and that gets frustrating. But I did feel at least a little bit better after rewatching it on film. To start, you do have to remember the Vikings presented a super unique defensive look and just in and of itself there, that shrinks the Eagles menu in a lot of different ways. The Eagles, again, we talked about it before. They figured it out. They ran the ball. They adjusted on those deep one-on-ones. But there were still times where just like in week one, it felt like they're kind of like empty calorie pass concepts that were a bit frustrating at times. Mm. And there are different types of pass concepts in the NFL. Some pass concepts are just meant to beat specific coverages. So against cover two, you stretch the cornerback who's playing the flat. You send a player underneath them and then a deeper player over them. Can't cover high and low. You throw it off the response. Then there's pass concepts where the quarterback picks a side based on numbers or leverage and maybe routes are kind of adjusting based on the coverage. And then my favorite is pure progression reads where basically it is set up so a quarterback can kind of scan from one side of the field to the other side of the field going through their reads. It happens at hyperspeed, but it's pretty much a checklist. Is the first receiver pressed? Okay, that's a no. Go to receiver two. Second receiver open, go to three, and so on and so on. So it seems like sometimes there's too many pass concepts that are coverage beaters. And if the defense is able to disguise or get out of that coverage, you're going to be out of luck in a lot of ways. And playing against, of course, Bill Belichick in week one, and then Brian Flores in week two, it seemed like maybe the defense was just a touch ahead of them. But again, I I do want to emphasize they were given a problem and they solved it. So it's not that, oh, you know, they're not able to do anything. They had success through the air. But, you know, if you're 614th in anything, Shield, whatever that stat was, it, it sounded bad. So there's, <laughs> there are still things that have to be cleaned up. Yeah, so to, so to clarify uh, what you're saying there, so they, it could be, hey, this is a great concept against if we're getting man coverage with a single high safety, well, you know, this concept is going to work really well. However, the other idea is on one side, right? You might have a concept that maybe is a man beater. And on the other side, you have a concept that's a zone beater. And so if they do disguise, if they do something different and the ball snapped and you say, shoot, the safety moved and they're not doing what I thought they were going to do. Do we have an answer? Uh, Yes, because we have different things to either side. We're not seeing a lot of that, right? In the Eagles offense right now, it's more, hey, this concept is good against a specific coverage, but If they do something to fool us and we get a different coverage, then maybe Jalen Hurts doesn't have the answer. Is that am I on the right track there with with what you're saying? 
I think that's right. You want to get to those good versus all, those GVA concepts. And the first thing I did was Ooh, go I back like and that. watch GVA. Our, that's, right, a nice, yeah. hey, that's a nice look, that's fo- football me. guy I, term. I, I, I'm I, adding I that. GVA. Speak. I love Coach Speak. <laughs> I just want to say that a third time. I love Coach Speak. Wait till I talk later on about the marriage of the run in the past that all these guys talk about. Because I, I think it is, it's a good way to remember and a good way to think about it. But the first thing I wanted to do was watch our good friend Shane Steichen and the Colts because I'm sure that people are wondering, you know, is that the issue? Is the issue we have a different offensive coordinator? But literally within the first 10 snaps, I'm seeing those same exact concepts, which, you know, that Mm. shouldn't be surprising. It's not like they're going to reinvent the wheel or change that overnight. But I did like that it seemed like Steichen, they used two tight ends as the end of a formation in the pass game a little bit, bit more. And that can create an issue because now the cornerback is the outside player in the run game. They also have to worry about routes going over their head. And a lot of times, you know, those guys are not paid to take on Jordan Mailata in the run game. So that can present an issue. So I do want I'm really curious. It hasn't been too much of a situation where the Eagles are you're down by seven. There are eight minutes left in the game. You're just going to have to keep on passing. And I yeah. maybe like to see maybe it's more empty sets where we can space it out. We can exploit one on ones. Maybe it's Devonta Smith on those option routes against try and get a matched up against linebackers in different ways. Is it, I'm mentioning it again, those tight ends coming into the flat really quickly on those RPOs that change the math. So I do want to see what the answers are as the season unfolds. I think there's, there's something left to be desired so far for sure. So I think the, the frustration in the past game is warranted. How much of the blame, where it goes, you know, it, it, it's hard to tell, but it's, it's going somewhere. So it's better to be 2-0 than 0-2. We, we all know that. I'm sure everyone agrees with that. But week three, a good chance to get things cleaned up. Yeah, th- this game is really going to, I think, tell us a lot because you can say, man, they played two games in the first five days of the season. You don't have a lot of time in between those. All right, now you kind of have this extended time. It's almost like a buy where you're going from a Thursday to a Monday. You're able to diagnose, hey, here's what the two teams have done to you so far. What's it going to look like now that you've had that time to adjust? So I do think there's kind of a sneaky, like, I'm, I think we're going to learn a lot on Monday night. It's like, okay, they figured it out. And they, they kind of do deserve the benefit of the doubt based on what we saw last year uh, with this team and how good Jalen Hurts has been in the past at kind of problem solving and improving. Now, if they come out Monday night and it's a really shaky passing game, then I think I'm going to heighten that. I don't know if panic is the right word, but certainly that concern level about what this passing game is going to look like uh, to another level there. Uh, before we get specifically to Hertz, I wanted to ask, just follow up on a couple of things you mentioned there. You said you wanted to see more empty. And so when you kind of told me that in the notes, I'm like, oh, that, that's interesting. Let me kind of go back and look at it. They've had only, they've had nine dropbacks of empty so far this season, four for six for 29 yards for Jalen Hurts and two sacks just one first down. So it's it hasn't been working great. Now, to your point, last year, this was a weapon for Jalen Hurts. He was awesome out of empty, averaged over nine yards per attempt, completed over 73% of his passes, uh, 45% of his dropbacks out of empty last year either resulted in a first down or a touchdown, which is like a bananas uh, high percentage. So how can empty help Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, why is that something you say, hey, maybe if they do a little bit more of this, uh, it could help them? Like, Kind of, kind of explain uh, why, why that can be a, a solution to some of the problems they're facing. So empty sets, where that just means there's no running backs in the backfield, usually the quarterback's in the shotgun, you're usually going to have three receivers to one side, two receivers to the other side. It really it makes the defense declare their intentions. 
because if they're going to blitz a linebacker particularly, they're usually, they can't have a linebacker lined up over your receiver while also have them blitz. That's usually too far of a distance. So it can help the quarterback see things better. It can make the defense adjust their coverage. You know, I think last week we talked about the Patriots had just a bunch of different ways to get the Eagles into situations with bunch formations. And empty is similar to that where a defense, they have their empty rules. So they're changing out of a lot of their base coverage concepts to empty specific things. And you'll see offenses across the league, your third receiver to the three receiver side. A lot of times they're just matched up on a linebacker in even in zone or in man, usually not in man, but eventually zone coverage is pretty much turn into man coverage when you have a player getting run at. So it's actually it's a way that I would attack the Eagles defense as well, because playing linebacker in the NFL is super, super hard especially yeah. when we have all these talented receivers. So, you know, I, I do love that fact check with the empty, maybe not being super successful in the first two weeks. No, I mean, I, it's a, <laughs> it's a small sample. Yeah. yeah I mean, exactly. it's like, yeah, I, that, I, I yeah. Trust the, I trust the year of, of Hertz being able to go through it <laughs> more than just two weeks where they had these pretty unique defenses. And I was telling myself, Oh, you know, week three, maybe they'll get against a defense that isn't just pressure heavy, but nope, wrong on that one. We got to- Todd Bowles and the, the Buccaneers co- uh, coming on Monday night and they'll be pressuring too. So just a, a great opportunity to, I wish we had something different, but make it more of the same. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun this way. If they're going up against a vanilla defense, we got nothing to talk about. They'll probably just, you know, take their one-on-ones, run the ball, and this will be a 15 uh, minute podcast. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. I want to come back and talk about Jalen Hurts specifically. Get ready to start the NFL week off right because right now all customers can get a no sweat same game parlay for Thursday night football. Just place a three leg same game parlay on this week's game between the New York Giants and the San Francisco 49ers and you'll get bonus bets back if you don't win. Let's see you got the the 49ers are minus 10 in that game. It's not definite yet, but I think I'm leaning towards taking the points there uh, with the Giants. That's just such a big number for a weird Thursday night game. You can do whatever you want. Listen, NFL same game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. Build your own or choose from one of the popular SGPs pre-built for you in FanDuel's top-rated sports book app. Visit FanDuel.com slash Ringer Philly so you don't miss out on your chance to get a no-sweat same-game parlay on America's number one sports book. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, 
all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, we are back on the Ringers Philly Special Shield Kapadia, joined by Sean Syed of Sumer Sports. Now you're talking about one on one. What is uh, what is your ho- hoops game like? I mean, you were now that w- once you got the same kind of height or size as your brothers. I mean, where were you kind of in the pecking order? How many brothers are we talking about? First of all, I have two brothers. You know, my oldest brother uh, okay. he lives down in Texas with me or with us, and then my middle brother is uh, he's in his medical school residency. So we obviously, we know who mom's favorite is and that's okay. You know, two lawyers, one doctor, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, right. that's where it We're is. We're used but to that I here like as well. And here we are talking about empty sets, <laughs> me and you, you know, like, as I, as I tweeted out when our parents moved to this country, this is what they, they dreamed about, you know, should, should Jalen Hurts have taken that, you know, he had Quest Watkins on the scene there and for, for that's, they were thinking, all right, this is the American dream. So we're living it. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent, you know, mom. Mom was so excited. We got got a podcast name that's something that we knew. And, you know, the Kapadia name that's got two brown guys talking about a brown defensive coordinator for the Eagles. So that's not lost upon me in any way. That's right. We, we definitely have to stress that. But sorry, you, you were saying with, with the two brothers, the hoops game. Yeah, so I, mean, I like to think I'm the fastest. So let's let's get it full court. You know, let's it's the, the equivalent of the empty set on the basketball court. Let's get a rebound, get 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 going, run and gun and. You know, that's, that's the way to victory for me. Interesting. See, my game is the opposite. I need half court. Uh, if I got to play a lot of defense, if I have to run a lot, my, my performance is definitely going to dip there. So uh, listen, we, maybe we complement each other uh, quite a bit there. If there's a, if there's a two-on-two uh, brown guy football podcast hoops tournament somewhere, I, th- I think we've got a shot. All right, let's get to Jalen Hurts here. Jalen Hurts right now, ranks 32nd out of 32 qualifying quarterbacks in dropback success rate. That's behind Zach Wilson. That's behind Bryce Young. That's behind Sam Howell, Justin Fields. It has been a rocky start for Jalen Hurts. I still believe in Jalen Hurts. I think he will get better. I think he will have a very good season. I think the offense will get better. But if we're just looking at what have we seen through roughly 70 dropbacks in two games, if you're just looking at the numbers statistically, it has not been good. It has not looked like he's taken a leap. It has not looked like he's been the same quarterback as he was last year. So we talked a little bit about the offense. Why is that the case? Certainly there are things uh, they can do to help him out. What did you make of his performance, the improvement, some of the adjustments they made in the passing game? It looked like, at least in the second half, uh, they were finding some answers, and he certainly looked better than he did early in that football game. The second half was was definitely encouraging, and it's so hard to separate out quarterback performance from scheme. Yeah. And I try and consider the overarching structure of it first, but still for a second week, where it's pressured a lot, some plays that I know for a fact that he would want back, especially that interception. And it, you can see it on the TV copy. You can feel the pocket close. On film, I will say when he's leaving the pocket, it usually is because there is actual pressure or things aren't breaking open on a concept. So if you're saying that you know Hertz is bailing, I do think there's some context that most of, most of the time it does work in his favor. 
And I, I don't mean to use it as an excuse, but the Patriots just played Tyreek Hill really, really well. That's a defense that I think we're going to look back at the end of the year and say, this was one of the best defenses. And the Viking schematic changes are, that's going to be a defining schematic change for the football season as well. So just maybe unfortunate that it's two good teams that you play against, but the Eagles obviously have a stretch of games in the middle of the season that it is going to be good defense after good defense after good defense. So the most important thing for me was that it doesn't feel like Hurts is just looking down at the rush. Because once that happens, that is when all the panic buttons go. I promise if I am seeing that, I am gonna. that's going to be the negative Sean week on this podcast. That would be really concerning. But he still wants to throw the ball down the field. So it's not that he is abrasive to that. And when you have those deep shots dialed up, he was able to get after them. And same as last week where we said, you know, there were some that were close that could have went their way. He had that awesome scramble out to A.J. Brown. He had that was called back on, I think it was a holding penalty. And then the other one to A.J. Brown that, you know, maybe that's pass interference. I'm not a referee myself. I'm not going to say it was pass interference. But those are two shots right there where that, again, makes the stat line look even better. So I I keep giving myself, maybe it's a, a, a pat on the back or a way to just pacify it, that there were problems presented to the Eagles and Hurts solved it. As uh, along with the rest of the offense. And there were there was one example last week and one example this week where earlier on in the game, there's a throw where it's kind of a tight window. I think you may have said, you know, I think he could have thrown that. And I was a little bit more iffy about it. But the next time the same play was run, he, he fired it in there. So that's encouraging. That hurts is getting really quick, learning on the sidelines. Offensive coordinator telling, you know what? I think you can make this throw. Hurts showing the confidence to go ahead and hit that. Yeah, to that theme of that they got some problems presented their way and they figured out some solutions. One of those was the um, that kind of zero coverage that Tony Romo went wild about uh, in week one where he was saying they're playing you know zero coverage, no deep safety, uh, but they're not playing man behind it. They're playing zone behind it. And we saw the Patriots do that and they stopped A.J. Brown on kind of a crossing route. Well, the Dolphins did the same thing. Again, it's you're rushing six guys at the quarterback. You have five in coverage kind of you know, across the back and they wait for the routes to express themselves. And then they go ahead uh, and they match up there. The Eagles saw that in the second half, but they came up uh, with solutions. What what did you see there with how they kind of made the uh, made the Vikings pay for what is, you know, kind of a, a high variance and, and aggressive uh, tactic by the defense? Two main solutions there. If the defense is brave enough to say, we're going to line these five guys back up here, Let's go ahead and put the money on the guys that we trust and we pay. So Devonta Smith running straight at you. If you are going to say the defense, they play with their leverage looking towards the quarterback. So it's not even it doesn't even look like they're playing man coverage because they're reading and trusting the defensive line to be able to create pressure. They're thinking that the offense is going to throw the ball probably quickly and hopefully go and tackle that. If the offensive line and the running back is able to protect that, it puts the favorite favor back for the offense where Devonta Smith is running at you 20 yards full speed with pretty much a two-way go. Even on one of Devonta Smith's big plays, I think AJ Brown is probably open on the other side too, where you know, you look on the replay, it looks like Hertz is pointing to his palm or opens his palm a little bit. So maybe, maybe that's a sign for post or something. I don't know. But getting those one-on-one opportunities and the double moves were another one that was so important because how are you going to guard AJ Brown where it looks like He's breaking in on a slant. Everything is telling you that the ball is probably going to come out quickly because, again, we're sending six guys. We're sending more guys than they have in protection. A.J. Brown gets out of that double move really quickly and has success on that. And then, of course, we talked about running the ball earlier. So when you're one-on-ones 
and run the ball. And we talked about earlier last week, you know, are do we get a kind of blueprint for a game plan against the Eagles? And my direct response was, well, we'll see if if the Vikings have the same players as the Patriots. And, you know, it turns out that they don't. I think the as an aside, no, I know this isn't a Patriots podcast, but they did a pretty good job playing a 3-3-5 structure and actually fitting the run against the Dolphins where, as I think we all saw on Thursday, the Vikings had a lot more trouble doing that against the Eagles. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, the one-on-ones, it, it's like a, a timing thing. Like the defense is kind of squatting and saying, all right, they're not going to have time to run past this depth because we're rushing six at the quarterback and we're going to get them in time. But if you give them that extra half second and are able to block them up, well, like you said, these are, I mean, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, these are guys that uh, the Vikings corners are not going to be able to cover down the field. So it's a kind of a high risk, high reward strategy. The Eagles were eventually able to hit on some big plays downfield. The other thing I just wanted to ask you about in general, this sort of drop eight, rush three that we've seen, we saw uh, the Vikings incorporate what is just like the general like an offensive philosophy where if you go into a game now and say hey we have to be ready with answers to this obviously you're out man they got eight guys in coverage it's hard it's harder to find open space what are like some of the offensive strategies um uh, against the drop eight coverage that that can give them more answers here going forward most of the drop eight coverages they're really flooding underneath zones so you may have okay five guys on, on the kind of second level of the defense in a cover three with only three guys deep so for me it's a little bit more of those vertical pass concepts where you obviously don't want to max protect just against a three-man rush but some of those concepts that have you know it's two posts from the right side and a post coming back from the other side where i usually hopefully i'm not too afraid of your defensive end kind of dropping out into pass coverage when i am getting further down the field obviously easy answer let's run the ball i understand that's not that's not always going to be available. Sometimes it's third and eight and you can't drop eight every play. You just, you, you're not going to be able to live yeah. in that because of the threat of the run game. So my, my solution to coverages that are really good on third and long are let's not get in third and long. But I like to see those more down the field passing concepts, because if you're telling me that you're going to flood the underneath zones, I hopefully am more than comfortable throwing the ball past the sticks and not just taking, you know, I need to get 10 yards to get, to get, uh, first down on third and eight. Let's go ahead and get a chunk gain there. Yeah, no that that uh, that makes sense. With uh, to to close it out here on Hertz. Uh, you know, I, some of the the plays I sent to you where I thought, all right, he's left some plays uh, on the field, and you can tell me if any of these stand out or you want to talk about um, any of them specifically. But uh, they had a third down versus again a drop eight coverage where I thought he had a chance to Devonte Smith. They had Dallas Goddard release versus a blitz. And it was like, all right, if he can just get the ball to him really quickly here, he's got a lot of room to run. He wasn't able to do that. Uh, he had a chance to Goddard on a corner route again, first a drop eight coverage there that he, you know, wasn't, uh, didn't feel like being aggressive there and taking a chance and trying to fit one in there. Uh, he had a check down to Jack Stoll on the left side where he had looked like he had all kinds of room to run. Um, you mentioned it, and it's absolutely true that scrambling quarterbacks often don't take the check down because they're like, I'll just keep the ball uh, and run here on that one. It looked like uh, he could have gotten the ball to Jack Stoll. And then uh, there was that bad sequence with back-to-back sacks in the fourth quarter. Uh, and on one of those, definitely looked like he had a chance to get rid of the football there. So again, this is always going to be nitpicking. And I, the reason I like having you on is because you're like, well, yeah, maybe he could have done that, but also it might've been hard to do that uh, here. But um, any of those plays, I know I sent them all to you before. Is there one kind of that stands out where you, you wanted to uh, expand a little bit? The one I do think, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but 
the interception was it, it was really rough so they're yeah. running a dagger concept you have your inside guy going vertical they're clearing out space for the outside guy who's running a deeper in route there was a guy dropping off the line right into there and if that person didn't have the interception it looks like the middle of the field safety and that kind of Tampa two look they would have had the interception so that was a tough one that I know that Hertz would have gotten back or would have wanted back and they ran that concept multiple times in the game so it was last week we talked about that four verticals concept where it felt a little uninspired where the defense was able to take care of it and that was another concept where it's oh man we're seeing it again and on the high view from prime vision which is just great shout out to Sam Schwartzstein <laughs> that it was you could see it the whole entire way so that was that was a rough one the one where Goddard kind of opens up in the he's like in blitz protection. He like knocks the guy over. I'm really curious. You know, does Dallas Goddard have an invisibility cloak? Is it a thing where he just, <laughs> the defense just like loses him for a second? Because I think we had the one last week. That was an example to me where the pressure was there too quick. And something that Flores did really, really well is running backs. We saw DeAndre Swift run the ball so, so well. If you force those guys into pass protection over and over and over, they can't get out all on the check down routes and it, it makes their life hard because the running back is obviously meeting that defensive player at a different point than the offensive line right because the running backs further back than the offensive line so the linebacker gets momentum and that was a way to create issues and i guess the, the specifics you know it's it's here and there where does he take the check down do you want him to scramble i'm comfortable with hurts being a we're gonna if we want to read half the field and then it's takeoff i'm comfortable enough we're going to see enough third down pickups this year where defense is just pulling their hairs out and if that's what hurts is able to do based on his abilities i am comfortable with that and the bigger thing with me was one of the window throws that he just that he i think maybe turned down earlier in the game he made it later in the game so growing in between games growing week to week growing year to year i think is encouraging for hurts yeah that that's uh that's his calling card always inability to improve you made the key point uh earlier that i it's not like the rush um you know he's still looking to it hasn't impacted him to the point where he's developing bad habits i mean he's still trying to do the right thing uh from the pocket and i will say i think his accuracy has been pretty good for the most part like i i don't i i'm not writing down oh he missed a lot of throws like the negative plays i'm looking at are more like you said is it a turn down? Is it a bad decision uh, on the interception? It's not like, oh, shoot, the mechanics are bad and he's all over the place and uh, erratic there. So I think that's probably um, a good sign as well. So we'll see what happens with Hertz. And uh, and I, I think they're going to be okay. It's a bad two star, two games to the season for the passing game. I think they're going to figure it out. But I do think, like I said, Monday night in week three is going to tell us a lot about this passing offense. All right, let's talk about the defense. It's interesting, Sean, because the film, to me at least, the film and the numbers tell two different stories with this defense. Right now, they're 30th in success rate through two games, and that's after having gone up against Mac Jones and Kirk Cousins. You know, a lot of the the good stuff that's happening with the defense is they're forcing takeaways and forcing takeaways is good specifically in the year 2023, where it's really hard to play uh, defense. But if you look at it, the last five years, only last year's bills had a higher EPA on takeaways through the first two weeks. So they're getting those high leverage plays. They're making stuff happen. That's fun to watch. If you look at it on a snap to snap basis, are they consistent? Are they sound? Are they stopping offenses? The numbers would say no. So that's what the numbers say. On film, however, I would say I'm pretty encouraged by what I've seen from Sean Desai. Like I can easily tell myself uh, a story of this being 
a defense that right now is learning how to play in a new scheme, is trying different things, has had injuries with different personnel that is going through some growing pains, but also a defense based on what they're doing that by the time Thanksgiving comes around or December comes around or you're playing good offenses where I'm going to be saying, ooh, remember some of those issues they had uh, in the first month of the season? Now I'm doing a podcast with Sean and he's saying, hey, remember, he's got that crazy encyclopedic memory where he's saying, hey, remember week three, they busted that coverage. Now look, they did it and it led to an interception. Like I can tell myself that story pretty easily watching the film here. So the things I'm encouraged with is that Desai looks like he's going to be a game plan specific coordinator. And what I mean by that, it's not just, hey, this is what we do. We do it every week. We know all the rules. We don't care what the offense does. No, it's someone who's going to cater the defensive plan to the offense they're facing every week. Uh, I think he's going to be aggressive. That doesn't necessarily mean like the highest blitz rate, but this is not a sit back and we're going to force you to move the ball down the field. Like they are choosing their spots, uh, but they are being aggressive there. Uh, He definitely is someone who wants to blur the picture a little bit for opposing quarterbacks. Hey, can you get them to hold on to the ball for just half a second more so that the pass rush can get home? So that's my overall, you know, 30,000 feet up in the air view uh, on the Eagles defense through two games. What do you agree before we get into kind of the specifics um, agree with or disagree with from my assessment there? I really agree with the assessment of Sean Desai. You know, I'm coach Desai. I know you're, I'm sure you're listening. I disagree with the way he spells his first name. Of course, I spell it a little differently, but to me, he absolutely, I agree in game plan specific. That is such an important thing to do. And to be as a defensive coordinator, you're not just saying, Hey, we have better guys than you. We can take care of the, offensive line with just our pass rushers i do like it seemed like he was selective in the spots to rush you know kirk cousins had a, had a great day justin jefferson got his and he still had a plan to at least try to take care of those threats and a lot of those jefferson catches you know darius slay is there were two that i saw where it's like how does that ball like via physics get through either darius slay's hands and how does justin jefferson catch that so yeah it was, you know, it was very you know what happened to me year. and this 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 will happen to you when when you're old is that i actually watching the film wrote down in my notes great rep great pbu by darius sly and then i checked the gate the play-by-play to see where i was and it was a catch the justin, De- justin jefferson and i'm like no i just watched this like he's literally right there how did that ball get through so yeah not to, sorry to uh interrupt you but uh, i totally agree there were reps like that where darius slay is all over it and somehow the ball gets through and jefferson uh makes a great catch but i, I thought slay was good uh overall speak more to to that their plan for justin jefferson specifically because you you were you know in your notes to me were saying yeah they did some fun stuff here to account for the best wide receiver in the nfl where it's not just hey you know we'll we'll figure it out he's going to get his it was hey let's come up with some wrinkles to at least make it uh, make life harder for justin jefferson what did you see there one of the benefits of all of those two high safety looks that teams across the league play is the flexibility to deal with star receivers like Justin Jefferson. So Desai used two core Vic Fangio concepts, who I know this is a pro Vic Fangio podcast as well, that (laughs) they adjust based on where Justin Jefferson would line up. So one is called Zeus. So the call is Zeus 18 for Justin Jefferson. If Justin Jefferson was lined up to the outside, it would be covered two to his side. So you have a cornerback playing him low, a safety over the top, playing that deep half, and then cover four to the other side. And then if Jefferson was lined up inside, it would become cover four for the whole entire coverage, just with more of a double team mentality from that inside safety. That was one way to do it within a zone structure. And then the other one is called ring. So we have Zeus 18 
Ring 18 for this one. Both great it's names. It's a man coverage. Say it again. Both great names, Zeus and yeah, Ring. Both. I mean, this is why we have you on. Great now, name. when people are watching, they're just going to be yelling out <laughs> Zeus. They're going to be yelling out Ring during this, and they're going to impress all their friends. Sorry, I had to get that in there. Go ahead. Explain Ring to us. Exactly. That's that. The important thing is to <laughs> impress the friends you're watching with, of course. Uh, so Ring 18, it's a man coverage concept where if Jefferson's on the outside, you have a safety over the top of him playing like it's like they're in the deep half. Again, you have a cornerback underneath Jefferson, able to press him, have help over the top. And then if Jefferson's on the inside, that safety would play more like a quarters technique. So another way to get multiple eyes on him. You know, Fangio loved that concept when Desai was with him in Chicago. Fangio used that for Mike Evans a ton, Devontae Adams. I'm sure we'll talk about it when we get to how the Bucks or how they play against the Bucks. But for me, it's encouraging, one, because it feels like, you know, what I studied in the offseason, it's paying off a little bit here, seeing it with Sean Desai, but also <laughs> a defensive coordinator that is not too proud to say, we need to devote more resources to this player. Even when we have Darius Slay playing at a high level or playing at whatever level he is at, we need to X that player out of the game plan. And even with still Justin Jefferson, really a testament to him. And I think Kevin O'Connell understanding, well, they want to have all these different fancy coverages with all these cool sounding names. Let's get Jefferson into the slot. And then it becomes yeah. where, hey, you're on your second nickel defender. That's where a problem comes up. And then I do want to, we'll talk about the Jordan Addison touchdown, because if you devote all your resources one way, that opens things up in other places where last year the Vikings didn't have that. But Talked about it last week. I thought it was important that Hawkinson and Addison, they were going to be able to have better games because you got to devote resources to Justin Jefferson. But the takeaway there yeah. is defense is just, it's too hard. It's too hard to play defense. Yeah. It's too hard to be a defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. but I like seeing what's in Sean Desai's bag early. Yeah, I mean, because it's something they didn't have to worry about in week one. The Patriots don't have a wide receiver like that. So you're playing totally differently. Five days later, where you're saying on, you know, whenever they started, I'm sure uh, Sunday night, they're game planning for this game right away on a short week. And they're saying, what's our plan for Justin Jefferson? And they had a plan. And like you said, he's still got numbers. He's going to get numbers. Uh, some of those were very hard catches against Darius Slay. Like you mentioned, Eagles get down to Mario Goodrich, their second uh, slot corner. Vikings move Justin Jefferson into the slot. He puts he has some big plays there from the slot. They did some good thing with motions where the Eagles aren't bumping over and reacting it, reacting uh, quickly enough where they freed stuff up for him. So you kind of tip your cap uh, to the Vikings there. But it wasn't like a game where you're like, man, Justin Jefferson is just absolutely. They have no answer for him. They're like like the Eagles had their wins. There were reps there uh, where they had their wins uh, against Jeff- Jefferson. So I thought that was that that was definitely um, encouraging for sure that they were willing to commit some more resources there. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't think I messaged you uh, about this play. So I don't know if you have it in your notes, but the Josh Sweat uh, forced fumble in the third quarter to kind of open up uh, the second half. It looked like Zach Cunningham kind of took away uh, an in-breaking route to TJ Hawkinson. Nicholas Morrow blitzes. uh, Hassan Reddick drops into coverage and you could tell Hawkinson is trying to go do I, oh, I'm sorry. Cousins is trying to go to Hawkinson, but Zach Cunningham has a good drop and is right there. He holds the ball for just half a second. And then Josh Sweat wins against the left tackle for the sack. So that's just another example of now, does Josh Sweat still have to win? Yes, it's always going to be all about the players. But is the coordinator helping the defense that if they do win, you have a chance for a big play? Uh, I thought that was a good example uh, of that one. I don't know if uh, if you were able to look at that play uh, or not, or if you have your notes in front of you. Yeah, I think that play, they're in a base defense look. So it's a a 3-4 defense. That's their base. And 
the way that so teams when you blitz five players on the back end a lot of times they'll call it a fire zone because you have usually three players underneath three players deep but what i like about how the fangio tree does it is they play it with pretty much man coverage rules so sometimes it's hard to talk about defense because is it man coverage is it zone coverage whatever Mm. we're we're talking about but i did like from that clip you know we got a linebacker on a running back and that i think is something you see across the league because even when teams just send four and do that that's one less pass catcher out in the route combination so if if we want to play seven on four that may be better than playing seven on five the those kind of simulated pressures or creeper some people call it this one wasn't an example because they did send five so i would just call that a blitz but yeah winning on the left the left tackle was so good decide like you said picking his spots in a cool way to open up the second half where i don't think that if you ask Desai, well, what is my identity? I don't think he's a blitzer first. I don't think that that's what he really wants to hang his hat on. But having the ability to get to that in a pretty quick way right out right out the gate was really fun to see. Yeah, and they did some of that in like non, like it wasn't just, hey, wait for third and long. Like they had, uh, I forget what the other, it was like a first and 10. I think after Jefferson had a catch, uh, for a first down and I'm looking at it, it's like the second half and they're sending like a pressure at that time. And I forget if cousins had to throw it away or check it down to the flat and it ended up in no gain or, or a tackle for loss. So I do like some of that unpredictability that decides mixing in as well. Uh, talk about that, that touchdown that Josh Job. Uh, gave up there, like you mentioned it uh, earlier, 62-yard touchdown to Jordan Addison. I will say, I thought Josh Job played really well in this game. Like That was obviously one bad play, and you don't want to give up uh, explosive plays. But I thought overall, uh, I was pretty impressed with Job in this game. But how did they, they get him there for that big score? Yeah, I, I do agree with the assessment on Job. I think had a tough assignment off off that week. And I do think he held up relatively well throughout the game obviously the first example you probably think of from him is jordan addison walking in for a touchdown there but yeah so they're playing a concept where they are flooding on defense they're flooding the three receiver side on offense so they're trying to get five of their defenders over three of the offenses players but that means that you have to be able to lock up one-on-one on the back side so your cornerback is going to be one-on-one in the receiver the linebacker is going to have to be one-on-one on the running back. And that lets you play a little more fun to the front. And then the weak safety, who in this example for a three-by-one set where there's three receivers to one side, one receiver to the other side, what I call is the weak safety is not a comment on that player's strength, but just that they're on the, the one receiver side. So his job is to take TJ Hawkinson there. His job is to look to the number three receiver because you, you'll see the safety go out over the first receiver. I think it may be Justin Jefferson in that way but so if he is not helping Hawkinson anyway Hawkinson gets that ball it was a really good play where you know we never want to watch quarterbacks extend the play on defense we don't want them to be able to step up we don't want them to be able to take that shot it was a really good play the coverage was as maybe as good as it could have been obviously would have liked Job to maybe obviously try and punch the ball out it seemed like that's what he was trying to do just get that tackle but eventually the offense is gonna find a way to prosper especially because the Vikings they had Ed Donatello as defensive coordinator last year, and they got to see so much of the bare bones of the Fangio scheme. I know that Kevin O'Connell was hoping, all right, let me get the, against this coverage because I know what their five over three adjustment is on defense. I know that they're locked up one on one backside. Now I have Addison, who's a threat. So, not a bad play by the defense. Man, whatever. It, it obviously is not a successful yeah. play on the defensive end. I would give it more credit on the offensive end and a great way for 
Obviously, Job, I think, is going to learn from that one, where had a pretty good coverage call overall. Depends on a one-on-one. Sometimes you'll lose those one-on-ones. Yeah, I think Terrell Edmonds was the safety there that, like you mentioned, watching it on TV, I was like, wait, should he have, uh, you know, should he, was he supposed to help Josh Job there? And then, like you mentioned, no, he he had to come up because TJ Hawkinson, I think, was running the over route uh, or whatever, and he had to grab him there. So Josh Job's one-on-one, he loses there. Like you said, he doesn't make the tackle. Um, but overall, uh, I thought he had a good game. Just looking ahead, and uh, we'll have EJ Smith on from the Inquirer later this week once the injury reports come out and we look ahead to that Tampa game. But um, Avante Maddox, obviously, out for the season. What are the Eagles going to do? Mario Goodrich, I thought, had a really rough game here, but it is a tough assignment when you just have to go in in the middle of the game and all of a sudden uh, you're thrown into the fire there. So uh, I would like to see what he looks like after a week of practice and he's prepped. At the same time, if you're telling me, hey, get your best three corners out there, um, I don't know, Slay, Bradbury, and Job. To me, that would probably be your best trio uh, of cornerbacks. And so we'll see if they think James Bradbury can play inside uh, when they're in their sub package uh, or not. But I thought Job played well enough where I'm more intrigued by that than the idea of having Goodrich just step in for Avante Maddox. Um, Some other things I wrote down here, Jordan Davis continues to play really well, uh, just really uh, flashing again in two games. He's flashed more than he did uh, as a rookie. So I know he had some injury issues last year, whether it's that, whether it's the second year leap, he's playing really well. Uh, Zach Cunningham, rough week one. I thought he was pretty good in this game until sort of the final drive um, where he, he was uh, had taken some L's there in coverage. But I thought overall he played way better uh, than, than I thought and way better than he did in week one. Uh, Some of the personnel packages they were trying to trot out there early in the game. Uh, Justin Evans was kind of a tight end matchup uh, for them. Uh, I didn't think he looked great in that role against Hawkinson. Hawkinson got him early on for like a 24-yard completion. Uh, So I don't know that that's the best use, but obviously offenses are trying to get the matchups they want there. And then just like the overall numbers for Cousins, I mean, we do have to take into account they got 75 yards on that last drive there. Uh, It's not... Total garbage time, but you have a two touchdown lead with time running out. You don't want to give up a big play. And so certainly something to keep in mind there. Uh, Anything that I missed, Sean, with the defense that you wanted to mention before we kind of spin it forward here and start looking at this Bucks game? I know you mentioned that nickel spot. That that is something that I'm concerned about because of it is such a tough role. You need to balance. Sometimes you're involved in the run game. Sometimes you're going to have to distribute routes in different ways based on what the offense is presenting and sometimes you know it could just be too much like i'll sit here when we're on the podcast i'll watch you through the screen you're pulling up a stat you're giving an injury update you're in the middle of a sentence you're passing it back over to me and then i'm sitting back like maybe i'm just a system podcaster you know i can't be doing all that so (laughs) i'm glad the eagles have a devoted coach to the nickel position you know that's that's that is important maybe we need a podcast position coach here but that spot is is a tough role. And I don't know if you remember, I think James Bradbury, I feel like I read something about like them having him in nickel in training camp or something like that. So yeah, he got like some looks you know, there. Yep. Yeah. If your best three are, are Joe Bradbury and Slay, maybe maybe that's something. I'm not sure if that's what exactly what they want to do. But, you know, at least Joe acquitted himself enough to to say this this person is we're not going to feel like a total liability by by having him play a press coverage on someone. Yeah. And, you know, one of one of the things we've kind of said that we like this about Desai is kind of the creativity, the flexibility, even in training camp, they're using guys in different roles. Because like you mentioned, that slot corner position, it's like, well, who are we matching up against? Is it the 
quick, shifty Wes Welker type slot receiver? Is it the big power slot that uh, you're seeing some teams use? Is it going to be like just a dynamic tight end, like a Travis Kelsey? You know, if like if it's Travis Kelsey, um, if you're playing the Chiefs, then I would say, yeah, get James Bradbury in there. Like big physical. James Bradbury is might be their smartest defensive player, in my opinion, just based on what I saw on film last year, just in terms of recognizing what's coming out at him, what our offense is trying to do, different route concepts, leverage, all that stuff. So I think he can handle it uh, mentally. But like you said, you're in the run fit more. I mean, Avante Maddox, it, it was really a shame the play he got injured on. I mean, it was classic Avante Maddox where he's like, I'm not the biggest guy, but there's a run play over here. I'm getting this guy down. Like he just fires downhill and then gets lateral and then ma- actually makes the tackle on the play. Uh, and then the guy gets injured. He can't, can't catch a break there. Um, but um, now they have to figure out what their solution is for replacing him. So like I said, we'll talk about that um, a little more later in the week. And then after that game against the Bucks, we'll, we'll talk about, hey, what did they actually decide to do in this matchup? So let's start there. Bucks offense uh, versus this Eagles defense. Bucks offense uh, had a nice game against the Chicago Bears. I think, what, 437 yards, something like that. They definitely want to be balanced if you just look at kind of pass run ratio in neutral situations. They're the eighth most run heavy team uh, in the NFL. So I think they want to put Baker Mayfield in positions to succeed where they're not saying, hey, you have to do everything. Um, we want we want to give you answers. We want to put you in manable, manageable situations. Um, what have you kind of seen from the Bucks so far? What are you keeping an eye on uh, in that matchup with Tampa's offense versus the Eagles defense? So the Buccaneers offensive coordinator, Dave Canales, he was in Seattle for a long time. Most recently, he was with Geno Smith. Obviously, Geno Smith had a really resurgent year last year under Shane Waldron. So we'll put Dave Canales somewhere on the Sean McVay tree. And the biggest thing they do is they let the quarterback play fast. They're happy to take one-on-ones, be that with Evans and Godwin. I think Mike Evans looks like he has exactly looked. He is really, really good. And I'm glad yeah. that um, Desai has seen how Fangio has dealt with Evans when he was in Chicago. So that's going to be something interesting to track. And I, I always worry about linebackers across the league because I keep saying, like, it's too hard to play linebacker. The Buccaneers, they're going to run zone one way and play action the other way off of it. So a lot it's going to be a test of, do we have a safety coming down to fill that space to take that kind of crossing route? They're going to try and find different ways to put you into conflict. And I think against the Bears, the Buccaneers had... they just played really, really well on third down. So in those situations where the Eagles, you hope that they're going to be a plus matchup on the defensive line, particularly against the Buccaneers offensive line, not in the same way against the Vikings, certainly, but that's a situation where we're going to have to figure out a way to maybe it's tightening up on offense. At the same time, we don't want to just be one-on-one with Mike Evans all the time and Godwin still looks good. So it's, it's a lot of different things that it's probably going to come down to. Can you make, Baker Mayfield get off his first read can you force him out of the pocket don't let him have those frustrating scramble scramble first downs and be able to deal with the offense in that way yeah he's he's completed 69 percent of his passes through two games he's only taken one sack in two games where I looked at that and you look at their offensive line personnel wise and you're not like hey this is a great uh offensive line you know you would say probably more uh mediocre you know before the season you might even say below average but he's only taken one sack uh, through two games. he Only 8% of his throws have been into tight windows. So to your point, they have done a good job of making life a little bit easier for him. And when in doubt, he's thrown the ball to Mike Evans and letting him make a play. And Mike Evans was fantastic uh, last week and obviously 
presents a, a tough matchup. He's got 237 yards through two games. Uh, and they've got Chris Godwin, like you mentioned also still, who I, I've always been uh, a big fan of. But beyond those two, I mean, you're getting to guys like Kate Otten and Rashad White. So it's really, those are the two guys you really uh, need to hone in on there. Do you think, what what is your gut tell you? Do you think they'll have a little plan for Mike Evans that's kind of like Justin Jefferson? Or are they like, oh, Chris Godwin's probably better than anyone else Minnesota had. Mike Evans isn't quite the receiver Justin Jefferson is. How do you expect um, the Eagles to kind of uh, attack that matchup and have a plan for Mike Evans? I do think they'll use some of the kind of ring and Zeus concepts that we talk about talked about before and what's good about running it earlier in the season on defense is you know you have that in your back for when it comes time later it might be that they only use it on one down the entire game but that's a formation that they've studied and they see where they know that baker is going to target evans on this one and it just lets your cornerbacks play a little bit more aggressive where if we get a double move or something where evans is taking a more longer developing route knowing you have that help over the top is a good way to deal with that And I do like the Buccaneers. They'll spread you out and empty. So I want to see, are the Buccaneers going to try and get, you know, routes underneath at the linebackers? What's the response going to be there? Where in week two against the Vikings, actually, there was one play, I think it may have been a third down where Justin Jefferson's kind of coming across the formation on a shallow cross route. And I think it was Cunningham or one of the linebackers there to guard it. And it just, it looked beautiful on film because the linebackers are distributing the routes perfectly and it looks like all offensive players are running right into the hands of defensive players so you know you get those guys reps obviously you know whenever nicobe dean comes back it's going to be fun but i do think dave canales is going to have a plan and the vikings also they use play action in different ways to make life really really hard on linebackers so that's that i think is really really going to be the focus where because they know that desai will have a plan for evans now desai can do different things off of that where they're disguising but you know, when when push comes to shove, the linebackers, are the linebackers, and that's that's a situation where the Buccaneers might feel positive. Yeah, and I don't know what the numbers are with the Eagles against play action, but definitely there have been times on film through the first two games where you say, oh, okay, they got uh, sucked up a little bit there towards the line of scrimmage. There's voids behind them. Uh, Eagles have been very good against the run, have allowed 89 rushing yards through two games, second fewest. They haven't allowed a run of more than 11 yards uh, through two games. So uh, good against the run, but like you mentioned, the Bucks will probably try to capitalize off that um, with some play action and we'll see what they do there. In terms of passing off the routes, yeah, I know that one you're talking about. I think Zach Cunningham uh, ended up uh, landing on Justin Jefferson and it was an incompletion. Then they had another rep in the red zone where I think Josh Job was trying to pass it off and no one picked up KJ Osborne and he's wide open. So that's the stuff I'm talking about with Desai. It's like, all right, these things you can kind of they're to be expected, right? Early in the season, every it's new personnel, it's a new scheme. Those are the type of mistakes that if they're still happening in week eight, nine, 10, 11, then I'm going to be like, all right, what's going on here? But um, if they can get that stuff worked out, um, I do think this defense has some potential. All right, let's finish up with the Eagles offense versus this Bucks defense. Jalen Hurts obviously played against Todd Bowles twice in 2021, a regular season. Uh, and the playoff loss, uh, those were not good games, but he's a different quarterback now. They've got A.J. Brown now. Uh, it's a different Bulls defense. Carlton Davis was out last week for Tampa. We'll see if he plays uh, this week. That's their cornerback, uh, a very good player. But uh, Bulls has been not a man-heavy uh, coordinator so far this year. They're playing zone, I think, 85% of the time, uh, which is the second highest rate in the NFL. Uh, what do you see with this Tampa defense? What are you watching for in terms of how the Eagles might try to attack them? 
I think the Buccaneers defense is immensely talented. They have young talent. They have veteran talent at that second level and the linebackers. I like that Todd Bowles seems to really, really understand offensive pass protection. And the reason why I know that is because he knows exactly how to break it. So that is something that's frustrating where it might be another week where we see a free runner at Jalen Hurts out of no one's fault, but that the defense is doing a really good job. I do want to see, or if I was Bowles, I'm going to say, let's you know play that zone defense and make Jalen Hurts take throw after throw down the field. But obviously, all defenses, they want to stop the explosive play. That's just, that's another kind of lame coach speak thing. But the Buccaneers absolutely have the ability to do that, partially because I do feel much better that the Buccaneers are going to be able to play a different style of run defense than the Vikings. So it's a, a unique challenge early in the season that should be fun to see and, and study because the Eagles are not going to be able to run inside zone 14 times on a drive and just walk down the field. It's going to, they're going to be in more situations where it's second and eight and third and seven. So we get to see, well, what gets cooked up? And hopefully it's it's different zone beaters or if it's those, kind of peer progression passes where you're comfortable with AJ Brown and Devonta Smith, how they're seeing the defense and that being linked to Jalen Hurts seeing the defense the same way and maybe finding those guys in holes different where different places. And then, as you said, I think one of the Buccaneers cornerbacks was out last week. It'll be interesting to see if he is back, but I mean, they have, they just have a lot of talent and it's, it's going to be fun to see yeah. Vita Vea lined up with uh, Jason Kelsey play after play. That's a, that's just an all time uniform matchup. Just the aesthetics there are, are incredible between those two players who have played for a long time at a at a really really high level. Yeah, no, I, it, I did my like rankings going into the season for the Ringer, and I had the Bucks as my tenth defense. I'm like, this defense might be too good for them to like land a top three pick and draft a quarterback uh, next season. Like, they just have a lot of good players. Like, they still have Levante David at linebacker. They've got um, Devin White, who can he get exposed a little bit in certain situations? Yes, but man, if he's coming uh, on a blitz, you better you better watch out. I mean, a very athletic player, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., very good safety. If Carlton Davis plays, Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean, I mean, these are two corners who I think are each getting paid over $13 million per year. They're both around 27, uh, 28 years old. They've played in that scheme. Vita Vea, you mentioned up front, Shaq Barrett uh, had a big game last week, is still a very good edge defender. Joe Tryon, uh, Shoyinka is another good uh, edge defender for them. So yeah, you look kind of up and down their roster and they're talented. Uh, Todd Bowles has produced, I think, a top 10 defense in three of the last four seasons and even the season they didn't, which was last year, I think they were 13. So this is somebody, uh, you're not going to surprise him. He's played against Hertz before. It'll be interesting to see how his scheme changes in this game compared to what he did a couple of years ago against Jalen Hertz. All right. I think we covered everything. Go ahead. What do you got? Yeah, real quick. I know people are tired. I know, but something is no. It's that's fun okay. To that they like the, the, the extended <laughs> podcast. We can go for sure, another sure, two hours. I'm old. I can. Yeah. You probably can. You have the energy. <laughs> I know. That I, I haven't made any old jokes yet, Shil. You know, you've been good to me. I'll, I'll, I'll stay away from them. But uh, some of the Buccaneers do. You'll see their linebackers shoot gaps and get tackles for losses. It's another you know aggressive player style and their mentality. I do want to see are the Eagles able to kind of get the ball on the edges in different ways where if the Buccaneers are going to pack that box inside, is it something where we can get numbers into the flat really quick or where you have to force some of those guys to drop out into coverage into those really just that five yard area, just further closer to the numbers in that kind of in breaking window where let's just throw a five and out, get the ball out there. And if you're going to 
stuff that box all day. <clears throat> the offense is going to look a little bit different, but I do think that I want to see the Eagles have a lot more yards after catch today than I think that's been something where we haven't seen a ton from them recently. Yeah, and you were mentioning before a little more creativity with the RPOs, uh, which we haven't uh, totally seen so far from them through two weeks. We've obviously seen that in the past. So if the Bucks are playing a lot of zone coverage, if you think you can key on uh, key in on somebody like Devin White um, with his sort of discipline or get him aggressive going one way, open a window behind him, that's something else to keep an eye on. So we'll look for all of that. All right, Sean, what do you think? I think we had a nice this isn't our first one. I mean, it's our first like regular one since we're doing regular uh, podcasts to, together. Hopefully it went well for you. Get, get some plugs out. You're doing everything now. You got a, you got a podcast. You got a column uh, every week. I saw where, you know, we can follow you on Twitter at Syed Schemes. The guy is just uh, tweeting out all 22s at all, like all days. I don't know if he sleeps. He's just at like 3 a.m. like a coach just watching the all 22 posting clips uh where can people find all that stuff uh yeah, absolutely on twitter science schemes <laughs> on tuesdays i do a podcast called stats and scheme here on wednesdays you know tell shield he made a good decision here if you think he made the wrong decision you know maybe give me a chance you know keep that to yourself a little bit <laughs> send me some pr- productive feedback in the dms we'll get things smoothed out on thursday i do an article called the thursday three i think that i haven't chose the three yet this week but ring and zeus sound really fancy so i think maybe i'll write a little bit more in detail about those get eagles fans excited going into week three i love that yeah ring and zeus is fun i mean a lot of the football vernacular i mean if you can get a good name like that then yes we're going to be more interested in learning about the x's and o's so yeah definitely check out uh that column from sean and he's right i mean let's i haven't berated the audience about leaving uh, review you know reviews and ratings in a long time this is generally my move sean you seem too nice you probably wouldn't do that i like to berate the audience if they don't give me the feedback that i'm looking for so get out there let's let's get some uh ratings some reviews out there uh on spotify or you know the other competitors which we won't mention but if you want to leave reviews there uh you can do that as well all right this has been awesome thank you so much uh to sean i'm going to be looking forward to this every week throughout the season we will do it usually on wednesdays and that'll be in your feed uh on wednesday evenings uh or certainly uh if you wake up thursday morning it'll be there as well since the eagles play on monday night giving you a little bonus pod. EJ Smith will join me later this week. He'll be at the NovaCare Complex uh, talking to players, talking to coaches. We'll get you the injury news and break down this matchup a little bit more. All right. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Sean. Thank you to Cliff. Uh, And I will talk to everyone with EJ on Friday. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. 
gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 supported Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.